This is the Iowa State Athletics Sidecast. This Sidecast is brought to you by Van Wall Equipment. Visit any Van Wall location today to test drive the full lineup of John Deere compact utility tractors with the power and versatility to conquer anything this season. I'm John Walters. Today's Sidecast is a visit with former Cyclone and Major League Baseball player Kurt Kaufman. Mike Green, director of Letter Winners Engagement, visited with Kurt, who pitched for the Cyclones, then the Yankees and Angels. He has some terrific stories, and he'll be back for a baseball reunion in September. This Sidecast is provided to you by the Iowa State Letter Winners Club, bridging the gap between legend and legacy by engaging in our past to invest in our future. We hope you'll enjoy this visit with Kurt Kaufman. We have a great guest today in our latest sidecast, and it's a former Iowa State baseball player, Kurt Kaufman. And Kurt played baseball at Iowa State in 1976 and 1977, and he has an incredible story on how he made it to the big leagues. And he ended up making the major leagues in 1982. He played two years for the Yankees and two years for the California Angels. And Kurt is a member of our Iowa State Letter Winners Club, and he'll be back in September for our baseball reunion. And today we're excited to have Kurt here with us. Thanks, Kurt, for joining us. My pleasure. Early in your career, Kurt, you played high school baseball in Harlan, Iowa. Correct. And, and you're from Westphalia. How did you get recruited to Iowa State, and were you getting looked at from a bunch of schools at that time in 1975? The scouting back then wasn't near like it is now. Now you don't have too many slip through the cracks. Yeah, I had one scout look at me. Uh, can't think of his name. He's with the Cincinnati Reds, and he basically told me, "You need to go to college and put on about thirty pounds." <laughs> so you picked Iowa State, and Claire Ryerson was the head coach at the time. Cap Tim had just retired. What are some of your favorite memories of playing in Cap Tim Field? It was pretty early structure at the time. I think it was built in early nineteen seventy. But you know, what were some of your favorite memories of playing at Captain Field? Oh, there was quite a few. We had a great freshman class that came in and a great upperclassmen, so we got along really well. But my freshman year, that February, we went to Hawaii as our spring trip, which was yep. pretty special. We came out of the armory off of concrete floors and stuff and wooden mounds, and we went <laughs> over to Hawaii where they're playing outside year round, and we went one and seven. Yeah. And all the games were like two to one, three to two, and uh, very close games. But you got to play outside yeah. in order to compete with somebody who has. That's the advantage of college baseball with the SEC and all these Southern conferences. Yes, coaches can't be with them, but uh, you have senior-led practices, things like that, so they can still get out on the field. Tell me about Claire Ryerson. He was your head coach. And then also Jerry McNurtney was a uh, – you know, kind of an assistant coach for you guys when you were in school. And Jerry played in the big leagues for nine years. And you ended up having a really great relationship with him because you ended up working with him later in the major leagues. Yes. Claire was very smart baseball-wise. We all got along very good. He was a very good communicator with the players, which, you know, especially you get up into the professional ranks, you, you got to be a very good communicator. Yeah. And he was very good in college already, uh, Jerry was, he just was the quiet one that sat in the background, but extremely knowledgeable. And, and being a catcher, it seems like catchers make great managers. They they see the field, yeah. everything's in front of them. Yeah. Um, I had a couple good managers that were catchers down the road at some point. But um, 
My freshman year, we had really a good team with the upperclassmen. It was us, Oklahoma, and Missouri in the Big 8 tournament that were undefeated. Then in the luck of the coin flip, we had to play Oklahoma. Keith Kangas was starting that game. He was a left-handed pitcher. I was a freshman. He was a sophomore, so he was yeah. one year older. And he was really throwing well that game, and we were right in that game. And then he hurt his arm during that game. And then once they pulled him out, they pulled away. They beat us like five to two, something like that. And then Missouri, I think Oklahoma made the world series that year. Yeah. Missouri was a, a hitting machine. My sophomore year, I had a great start and they gave me a quite a rude awakening. <laughs> Didn't have too good of a game. But anyway, at that point we played 63 games that year and we ended up 31 and 32 but uh, Big Eight was a bear. Like I said, we started out one and seven in Hawaii. Yeah. But, you know, we really had a good team, good year. Uh, Don McClanahan had like 63 RBIs. Um, all different facets of the game, we, we were pretty strong. Well, then 1977 was your sophomore year, and you basically led Iowa State in every pitching category. Wins, strikeouts, ERA, had a great year. Kind of... Talk us through on why you had to leave Iowa State because you had had some, you know, on the family situation back at home, right? Yes. Yeah, it was one of those deals. You never want to go to college just for a sport. Yeah. And then uh, there were so many other things involved at that time that it was just a decision that I made that I would try to get back into the game at some later point, which I did. But uh, I wish things could have been a little different, but uh, that's just the way it was. Yeah, so you went back to your family farm. And yes. basically, you started playing at a town team, right? Yeah, and it was the like Iowa Western League. Iowa Western League, in which I know that a lot of people right now don't even know what the heck that is. But back in the, back in the 70s, there's a lot yeah. of little town teams and very competitive. And basically, Kurt, tell us the story you kind of you kind of started maturing and your uh, velocity started getting getting higher. How did you start getting notice from the scouts at that time when you're out of college, but you're you know just playing town baseball? Iowa Western League was a very, very good league. I mean, I think that league would have actually measured up to any summer baseball collegiate league around the country. Uh, we played Clarenda A's and all these teams, uh, Beatrice Bruins, uh, Sioux City had a Saints back then. We played them all. And it was interesting because most of the players, well, a lot of them were ex-college and stuff, but most of them were just farmers. Yeah. And uh, But you got to understand the love of the game back then in that league was incredible. The little town of Westphalia, which was probably 150 people, but our parish is a Catholic community. Uh, we were probably five, 600 or so, but mm -hmm. we had two teams in it. So nowadays, you know, with the family farm dwindling, you, know, you don't see, I mean, I drove through the countryside here last summer and it was like, I think there used to be a farmstead there, you know, they're all gone. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so now they don't even feel the team anymore. But anyway, in 78, that first year I was out, I had a summer of putting up grain bins. You talk about physical. Yeah. yeah. We put up 108 of them that summer. And uh, I was one of them that hung sheets all day. And man, I went from about 180 to 195. And I was just strong as a bowl. And it, and it was a complete physical 
exercises, so to speak. Sure. Um, so you became athletically strong instead of like just doing biceps or triceps or whatever. And uh, that's when my fastball really jumped. Kurt, how much speed did you gain from college, like your last year in college to then then, you think, if you had to guess? Um, probably five to six mile an hour. The hardest I ever knew that I threw was 98. Okay. But I didn't live live on 98. I was a 92, 93 guy. And back then, pitching was a lot different. <clears throat> you hit your spots, you change levels, you change speeds. Now guys are trying to throw it through the wall, you know, and and. I looked it up the other day of the 360 pitchers that are now active in the major leagues. There was um, 126 that have had or currently had Tommy John surgery. When I played, there was two, Tommy John and Don Ossie. It's the only two I know of. So your arms is not meant to throw 98 consistently. It's just, it's not a normal action, so to speak. Sure. But anyway, getting back to uh, McNertney in 79 February called me and wanted me to come down for a tryout in Florida. And I tried to get ready and I was playing basketball then. So I was in a different kind of conditioning, so to speak. Yeah. And it didn't really work out then. So then uh, 79 summer, we always started that league right around Mother's Day. He called me up in late June and asked me how I was throwing. And I said, you know, actually, I'm throwing pretty good right now. That's when, you know, after 78, my fastball was good. I was 10 and 0 in this league. I threw 100 innings already by the 4th of yeah. July. And uh, so they sent the scout to Westphalia to see me. And we were playing. I played with the White Sox, which was a Westphalia team, against the Red Sox, which was a Westphalia team. And I had never beat them. And that day, it was kind of a cool wet it had rained earlier and the mound was a little wet so my front foot just slid a little bit all the time on it and it was a pretty steep mound which yep. is good if you can get used to it but um i walked like five that day i had to throw 150 p- pitches but I, I beat i beat him one nothing and uh he was there uh the scout it was roger olson he came through a, a guy out of kansas who sent him up russ Sihan. And um, they talked to me a little bit after the game, and I kept it hush-hush because I didn't want the players to know what was going on because then they press and the game gets a little bit out of character. So it was pretty hush-hush, the whole thing. So two days later, they flew me out to Columbus, Ohio, where their AAA franchise was, and Stan Williams uh, watched me throw there for him, and then they signed me the next day. Today's sidecast is brought to you by Van Wall Equipment. Van Wall Equipment and John Deere are proud to support Iowa's farmers in the field and Iowa State Athletics on the field. So how quick did you sign that when they told you they were going to offer you the contract? I signed it right away. <laughs> so, okay, so now you're in the minor leagues and, and you know, you're in the Yankees farm system. <clears throat> you pretty much made the big leagues pretty quick. I mean, uh, within two, three years, right? Yes, uh, signed in 79 and got that call up September of 82. But I was an all-star in every league I played in. Yeah. But, you know, I was a little bit more developed than some of the kids, especially the first year uh, rookie ball. You know, I already having 100 innings under my belt, you know, uh, and being I turned 22 that summer. So I kind of had that advantage. Uh, Then the next year I started out in uh, the Florida State League, which was full season A and done real well. And then they called me up in July to double A. And every time 
I went up, you know, to the next level. It was a new adjustment. You know, everything's a little different. Uh, hitters are a little better. You got to pitch a little bit more. You, you know, if you make a mistake, they'll let you know. But uh, I started out a little tough in double A. And then uh, I played there in 80, the rest of 80. And then 81, they changed me to be a reliever. Otherwise, I started, well, only Anna in rookie ball, I was a reliever because I got there late. So they just threw me in. And there's a whole story there. And I'll get into that later. But that my first game was quite entertaining. But um, 81, I was they, they asked me if I wanted to relieve. And I said, sure, because it's fun. You know, you're in there ninth inning, games on the line. Yeah. If you can't get your adrenaline going for that, you're not going to get it going. And then 82, or yeah, 82, I got uh, promoted to AAA. And uh, had a manager there for the life of me. I can't think of his name. I can picture him. But he was old school where you might throw seven innings. You might start a game. You might close out the ninth. So yeah. it's an adjustment when you don't know what really your job is, so to speak. Yeah. And then uh, at the end of the year, I got called up to uh, New York. And it was funny because it was Mattingly and I drove up together in my car. And they laughed at us like, you drove here into the Bronx? <laughs> there was no GPS then. Yeah. Donnie had the map. He was the navigator, and I drove. Yeah, yeah. We got there. We left about 7 in the morning, got there at 3 in the afternoon. And actually, the powers to be, the brass, was kind of mad at us because they thought, well, you can't play tonight because you drove all day. You're going to be mentally exhausted. Yeah. It really wasn't that bad, you know. But I think that. Within the first couple of days, I got in a game. And, of course, the first game I get in was against the Milwaukee Brewers, the, yeah. the brew crew, and did all right. And then it's like a day later is when I got my first win against in the major leagues against the Brewers. My first strikeout was Robin Young, which was pretty neat. But, yeah, and I was going to ask you about that, Kurt, because, you know, history-wise, that, that Brewers team was the team that made the World Series that year in 1982. Yeah. Very yep. good team. You had Paul Malter, Robin Yelt, Cecil Cooper. You could name them. Ted Simmons, I think, was their catcher. And but like Gordon Thomas. Gor yeah, yes, Gorman Thomas could. He could hit some home runs. But like, what? What was your feeling like when that first time that you had to face major league hitting? Well, the first time I got to call in the bullpen, we were at home in Yankee Stadium, and the phone rang, and they said, "Kaufman, you're up." And man. There's a difference between being nervous and scared. And I was scared. So you shut down physically when you're scared, especially when the pitcher who was thrown in the game getting in trouble was Ron Guidry. And I'm like, what the hell am I going to throw that he hasn't already thrown? <laughs> yeah. But uh, he got out of the inning, and I got to sit down and think about it a little bit. And um, next inning I got in, and I was a lot better then. But the one thing, it's kind of interesting, the one thing I remember more than anything, and I can't for the life of me remember the announcer's name in Yankee Stadium back then, but when he announced my name, he had that voice. It was unbelievable voice. And when he announced my name, I'm like, man, this is pretty cool, you know. Yeah. Pretty good crowd that night. And uh, I, I did all right. And, uh, you know, then I was nervous, so your adrenaline works for you instead of being scared and you go the other way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's very special. It's something you, you'll always remember. Looking for a tire that's designed for work, play, and ideal for those thrilling Cyclone game days? Well, brace yourself because it's none other than authentic brand. 
Ask for authentic brand by name from your local retailer or sportswear supplier. And then you got the win two days later and you came in in relief, obviously. It was a 9-8 win, but you know, what do you remember the circumstances of how you entered the game? Or do you remember any of that when you got your first career victory in the big leagues? I don't remember who I followed, but um, I remember I gave up a base hit to somebody, uh, and I don't remember that, but as a bunning situation. And Steve Balboni, another teammate of mine, was playing first base. And he, uh, I threw a high fastball, which is what, if you can throw a four-seamer, you can get it to ride a little bit. It's a great pitch for a bunt. Put it up in the zone, and yep. they will pop it up sometimes. Instead of throwing a slider or something like that, which is easier to get down. So I threw a high fastball. Sure enough, he popped it up. Balboni caught it and doubled him up off first to get out of the inning, okay. and then we scored in the bottom of the ninth to win it. Gotcha. One thing I remember after that, too, Roy Smalley was playing shortstop, and he made sure to get the baseball and give it to me. That's cool. Oh, that's, and I take it you still have it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, good for you. Well, 1983, the next year, you got called <laughs> up again and, and, you know, played for the Yankees, and your manager was Billy Martin that year. Yes. Um, I'm sure you have some stories just about playing Billy Ball. How, how was he as a manager? He was more a player's manager who's been around a while yeah he didn't he said pitchers were non-athletes and he didn't really like rookies at all that much they had to prove themselves to him which is fair i don't agree with the pitchers aren't athletes part of it but, yeah yeah uh, um it was interesting you know but obviously he's a very smart baseball man the thing so, i remember first about 83 i got called up early august and it was a saturday game of the week where they still had the I think it was NBC game of the week or CBS yeah. game of the week and uh, Saturday afternoon, one o'clock game. And I got in the game early. I think I threw five or six innings, but as Bobby Mercer retirement day yeah. where they honored him and there was 55,000 there. So that was really pretty special. And I threw wells against Detroit who was very good yeah. uh, in 83 and 84. They won it. So, but uh, the thing about that day is, and you know, you got to understand being new to the any league, hitters don't know you. Pitchers, if you pitch, you've got the advantage. So having said that, I struck out Kirk Gibson three times. And he was wow. he just he couldn't figure me out, you know. Yeah. So that's a fair statement. It takes time. And you know, later that year he got me, well, was actually in eighty four. I threw him a change up and he hit one out on me in uh, Detroit. But our left fielder was camped under it to catch it, but the upper, whatever you would yeah. want to call it, in the stands yeah. overhung the field. So it oh, dropped the old Tiger Stadium, old Tiger Stadium. Yeah. You're saying. Yeah, 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 that, yeah. The upper deck was like really close to. Yeah, I know what you're talking yeah. about. <clears throat> but I talked to him a few times, and he said, "God, I can't figure you out." And I said, "Well, that's good." <laughs> you know? Yeah. But um, after and, that game. I don't know if I slept wrong or what, but my I had pinched a nerve in my neck and I missed. They sent me back down because of that. And I actually, that same year before this, I got called up around the 4th of July because Gidry hurt his back. But when you make a move, roster move off the AAA team, it has to be for 10 days. So Gidry wasn't hurt as bad, so I never got activated, but I was there to see Rigetti's no-hitter against Boston, which was kind of... And that was 83. That, yeah, that's right. That was 83, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, speaking of, so you're in the Yankees. Uh, you're obviously a reliever. 
you had Goose Gossage um, on your team, correct? Correct. What was he? What was he like when you're in the bullpen? And did you know, as a Hall of Famer, future Hall of Famer, you know, one of the best relievers in obviously baseball history. What was he like for advice? Did he give you any advice or anything like that when you were, you know, just coming up? Oh yeah, he he was as good a guy as you could possibly imagine. A lot of those guys, uh, Gidry, a lot of those guys were hunters, and I, I liked to in the off season too. So we kind of had that uh, um, thing you know, mutual thing, mutual like, and, um, Gossage, the one thing I always noticed about him, this is still where he could throw over a hundred. Yeah. And, uh, he was funny prankster, all that in the bullpen. As soon as they called his name, completely flip a switch. Yeah. He was so intense. It was pretty neat. And, you know, later on when I became uh, that short reliever more often, and after the 83 season, they told me that, you know, I didn't need to prove myself in the minor leagues anymore, so forth, so forth. That with Gossage there, you know, um, yeah. there was no need for me to get stuck back in AAA. But getting back to uh, after that game when I pinched a nerve in my neck, I missed 20, almost three weeks in the minor leagues because of that. And uh, finally, I got it to where I could throw again. And it was, I'm sure you heard of Donnie Cooper, pitching coach for the White Sox yeah. for a lot of years. He Absolutely, was a good yeah. friend of mine. And, uh, he was with the Toronto organization then in Syracuse. And it was us two going for the league lead in the saves. And I got him the last week of the season. I had 25, he had 23. Okay. Uh, and we still talk about that. It's kind of funny. But then the winter meetings of 83, they traded me to the Angels for Tim Foley. Yep. So then I became an Angel. And then in 1984, you were with the California Angels. And yes. you ended up actually getting your first and only career start with the Angels. Yes. And how did that happen? How did a reliever all of a sudden decided that you're going to actually get a start? How did that happen? We needed a, another starter and they thought they would try me as a starter, yeah. but it was kind of, you know, Johnny McNamara was our uh, manager and uh, he was one of those guys again that you might throw seven innings you might throw one inning you know which was hard because your body likes a routine and there's no routine to that uh, that was yeah. the nice thing about 83 johnny oates was the manager and he was excellent i threw usually just the ninth inning a couple times to get work in i you know i would throw a couple innings but you know i threw 50 games and had 78 innings or something like that so getting into 84, uh, they tried me as a starter against Seattle. Now, I, I always remember that I kind of reverted back to when I started, how I would warm up and do this, that, and the other. Because yeah. if you uh, watch, starters have a routine. You know, and everybody has a routine of how they get ready, you know, both sure. physically and mentally for a game. And I threw way too much in the bullpen. <laughs> so I should have approached it as a, as a reliever and just, you know, I could throw 15 pitches in a bullpen. You get eight when you go yeah. out on the mound and I was ready. I should have approached it that way because I threw 80 some pitches that day plus the bullpen and I was yeah. pooped. Well, and so in 84, you had some amazing teammates also on that team with obviously Reggie Jackson, Rod Carew. What were those guys like as teammates when you got to the Angels? Oh, Reggie was always needling everybody, you know, and he had uh, kind of a where people thought he was 
not a nice guy. Yeah. But you know what? If you watched him and how the typical fans treated him, he'd be going out before the game to get loose, run sprints, or do whatever, stretch. People are asking for uh, autographs, and he said, well, not right now. you know. And then they, he got the reputation for being an ass, which was so yeah. unfair because he was getting ready. And I think it hardened him a little bit, so he had the appearance yeah. like he wasn't a nice guy, but he was a very, very nice guy. Yeah. Um, Carew, <laughs> he taught me how to play box rummy. <laughs> on the first one of the first plane trips we had five hundred dollars later i learned how to play box rummy yeah and i told rod i can't afford that you can <laughs> so we lowered the stakes i ended up getting it back in the long run but oh i have yeah. nothing but great things to say about Carew. there was a game a day game i was pitching in in anaheim and there was a ground ball hit to the hole just off and he didn't get there. He just didn't react to it. And it went out to right field. They threw it into him and he walked it to the mound and he apologized to me. And I'm like, Rod, you don't have to apologize to me. You're gonna you're a future Hall of Famer. You know, and that's the type of guy he was. Yeah. I mean, he didn't have to apologize to me. Yeah. But uh, that that's something I always remember. Who was the toughest hitter you ever faced? Who was the guy that used like this guy is just, I can't, I can't get this guy out. Boston Red Sox lineup. <laughs> <laughs> well, and they were, and obviously, you know, uh, Boggs was there by then. Boggs was there, yeah, Jim yeah. Rice. Yeah. Um, Dwight Evans. Dwight Evans. Uh, I never did throw against Yastrzemski, never faced him. And, you know, as a, a pitcher or a hitter, you always want to face the best. Yeah. doesn't mean you're, you're going to fare well, but it's part of competing, you know. And uh, I've, I did have the, I faced Brett, and, you know, and I faced that Baltimore yeah. lineup back yep. when they had all those. And that was, it was maybe not fun at the time, but it was fun to compete against them. You, you always have hitters that tend to own you, but then you might own a Hall of Famer. It's just weird yeah. how that works. It is. Well, just uh, like you said was, about Kirk Gibson, where you had yeah. great, great success over him. I did well against uh, Cal Ripken Jr., but uh, there was a catcher for Cleveland who came, uh, faced him in the minor leagues quite a bit, Jerry Willard. I just couldn't get him out. Yeah. And he was a good hitter. It wasn't like, you know, he wasn't that good. He was. But uh, ironically, in 84, I threw oh, several games in a row, a couple against the Orioles and somebody before that. And then the Yankees came to town, and I threw two games against them, and all in about six days. And the second day, I threw two innings, seventh and eighth against them. And after the game, I met a couple of the guys in a local Mexican restaurant. And they said, what happened to your fastball? I said, my arms beat. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm tired. Well, we went on a road trip after that to Cleveland. And I threw a game, seventh and eighth. And the bottom of the eighth inning, we took the lead in that game. And Jerry Willard came up with uh, one out, guy on base. And I mean, there's this guy again. And uh, yeah. I threw a good change up to him and got him to pop up but somewhere in that motion i stopped short and pulled the terry's minor muscle in the back of my shoulder and it's just like you you hear the typical when somebody pulls a muscle it's like a match burning in yep, there and that's yep. exactly what it was and uh next hitter there's two outs was pat tabler an old teammate of mine good hitter right-handed hitter and i threw well against him and i was all it's almost like i was scared to let it go you know, and throw too hard, but I hit my spots perfect and got him, uh, struck him out. 
Well, I went out there for the top of the ninth. I couldn't get it to home play. Uh, I couldn't even get it there. And uh, so I got one of many quarter zone shots. <laughs> it's a grind. Yeah. And yeah. they say you, you can get a 12 quarter zone shots in your career. Well, I had my 12. Yeah. <laughs> so knees, elbow, shoulder, you, you, you name it. Yeah. But um, so I missed three weeks there, but at least I got Jerry Willard out. On Football Saturdays, our John Deere run of the game is brought to you by Van Wall Equipment. Nothing runs like a deer, especially when supported by the team at Van Wall Equipment, the Cyclones John Deere dealer of choice. Well, in 1985, you actually had your first Topps Tops card, baseball card with Fleer. Mm -hmm. And I'm just curious, as a collector myself, how many times do you get that card sent to you in the mail to get it signed? I still probably get 10 to 20 a month. Because that's crazy, that's that 85 crazy. set is a very valuable set. It is. It is. And yeah. they, you know, they want everybody to sign it. The last I seen, my card was worth a buck twenty or something. So, <laughs> you know, but I yeah. got included in that whole thing, and I still have quite a few of those cards laying around because they threw in. Oh, here's a story for you. All those spring training, big league spring training camps. So that would have been 81, 82, 83, 84, 85. The baseball cards tops. Don Russ, Flair would all come in. They'd throw packets, you know, thousand cards in your locker. I took them all home. Didn't even open all the packets. Mom threw them away. Oh boy! Well, I, Can I you imagine? That, well, that's hap that happens so often. But yeah. But but how cool does that make you feel when you when you get one of your cards in the mail? I mean, you obviously think it's really neat to sign them and send it back, don't you? Yeah, you know, every time I walked to the bullpen before a game, I would sign autographs. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, you wouldn't be there if it wouldn't be for the fans, yeah. you know? And, uh, um, yeah, I always took the time and I like yeah. talking to the fans, you know, as you got better and more well-known, it's harder because you'd never get, they'd never let you go. Yeah. Now they have a lot of restrictions. You, you can't walk down there and everything, you know, unless yeah. you get a seat down there. So it's not quite as bad, but no, it, it's quite, it, it, yeah, it makes you feel good, but it's actually an honor. Yeah, yeah. When did you know that it was time to hang it up? I ended the 84 year very well. They um, used me quite a bit in, in tough situations. You know, it was us in Kansas City in the playoff run. It was one of us two. And uh, I got to throw a couple of games in Kansas City. I actually took a loss down there in like the 13th inning or something. Second last series of the year. Then we went to Texas and I got to see Mike Witt throws perfect game. So I seen yeah. Rigetti throw a no hitter and Witt throw a perfect game, which is pretty special. I don't know how many people can say that. But then 85 spring training, I played basketball all winter. We had a great team. We traveled all over and played basketball. I loved basketball. Never told Angels or Yankees that because they probably yeah. would have frowned. Plus, yeah. I skied every winter too, and I still ski, yeah. but snow ski. But uh, I went out a week early in 85, and as Ron Romanic and I, we were roommates a lot with the Angels, and I played a lot of racquetball, and so did Ron, he said. So I said, well, let's go play racquetball to get in shape. And he goes, I'll spot you 19 points. And I'm like, what? That means... I have to score two points to beat you. He goes, that's all right. Well, he was the class A champion in Seattle. And he okay. had, have you ever played racquetball? I have. And it's, I, it's, it's, it's harder than people think. Well, <laughs> have you ever been introduced into ceiling play? Well, no, I haven't. <laughs> yeah. Well, he introduced me into ceiling play and 
you know, he had hit it off the ceiling, hits the front wall, comes yeah. back and it pins you on the back wall. Yeah. And uh, dang, that was, that was difficult. But anyway, somewhere in that spring, I noticed my elbow started bothering me and it bothered me a little bit way back in 83 when I threw a lot, I'd get fatigue in my tricep. So then 84, I felt it a part of the year, but then 85, it was really starting to bark at me. So they checked me out. I had uh, Dr. Job look at me and all that, and they never found anything, but it just really bothered me. If I did something a certain way, oh man, it was just like uh, somebody stuck a knife in my elbow. Well, they sent me to Edmonton for rehab, a place where we got snowed out for a week in May. Yeah. Beautiful country though. Oh my, yeah. it is really neat up there. But so I ended up being the, there the whole year because I just couldn't throw through it. 86, I went out to uh, see the Celtics, Bruins, Red Sox doctor, Dr. Pappas, and he found it right away. I had bone chips on a bone spur. Basically, back then, they didn't scope you yet, so they basically dislocated my elbow for four hours and cleaned it all out. Okay. But uh, in that process, I lost that whip out front, so my fastball dropped all the way down to the upper 80s. And by not finishing out front, my slider wasn't as good or nothing. Yeah. So then in 86, oh, I missed the whole year 86, and I tried to come back 87 with the Orioles, and it just wasn't meant to be. Yeah. So, so that's when I retired. Yeah. And so when you got done, did you did you come back to Iowa right away? Yes, I did. They Orioles offered me a pitching coach job that year with uh, their uh, uh, new rookie okay. team, the short the short season eighteen. Yep. But I figured at that point, you know, since nineteen seventy five, I've been in baseball twelve years. I thought I'd step away for a while. Yep. And with every intention of going back in some capacity. And I even scouted for a little bit, but, uh, you know, then you have a family and kids and everything else. And it's hard to travel doing that with kids and that. So I never did go back. But as soon as I got back, I did play town team baseball again, though. I just didn't want to pitch much. I played shortstop. And I gotcha. and after seeing and talking to all these good hitters, I actually became a pretty good hitter that, you know, too. I, well, I never was bad, but yeah, yeah. Uh, with the Yankees in double A, we had some horrible trips. Uh, from Nashville to Orlando and yeah. stuff like that. And it was always the same group of back. It was Mattingly, Kenny Baker, Brian Dayette, Showalter, Balboni. All of us would sit back there, Donnie Cooper, and we would talk baseball. And that was very fun. You know, you learn a lot from both yeah. sides, pitching, hitting, and whatever. In 1980, Willie McGee was there yet, and uh, we, a lot of great players and yeah. it was fun just talking the game and you, you learn a lot playing cards with Carew you know you talk to him and Mattingly was my roommate on the road a lot so yeah. you talk he had asked me how I'd pitch him or and I'd ask him how would he approach me things like that you yep. know yep speaking of Don Manley what's your thoughts of him not being in the Hall of Fame I think at some point the voters need to understand that if he didn't hurt his back yeah. And he, he hurt his back by doing that Nautilus machine where you it's a torso turn. You grab it and you turn your torso, which obviously as a hitter you do, but he, he hurt his back doing it. And if he didn't hurt his back, there was no doubt in anybody's mind yeah. he'd have got 3,000 hits, which is usually the barometer, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. But yeah. No, I think he – I mean, and defensively, he was just amazing. Yeah, he should be there, if not in the 
you know the orig- the the beginnings of it, then they could do that uh, secondary one. He needs to yeah. be in. Yeah, and I'm hoping that through the years that they they do get him in. Um, yeah, he, he was so fun to watch. You know, Kurt, you're you know you're a member of the ISU Letter Winners Club. Thank you, and we're so happy that you are. And and you're coming back to Ames early September for the first football game because there's a baseball reunion. Yes. How excited are you to reminisce with your old friends? Oh, I've talked to a few of them already. Who's going to be there? A couple of guys last year weren't there, and then um, they're going to be there this year. And then I'm going to the uh, Iowa-Iowa State game there. I always go with my kids. I have five kids, and we all go there and tailgate. And was that about four years ago? It uh, was supposed to chance of rain in the afternoon. We get there at oh, the zero. delay game, yeah. Yeah, the zero dark 30 in the morning. Yeah. As soon as the sun starts rising, you look to the west, you're like, oh, my, that looks yeah. pretty rainy, you know. And yeah, we ended up standing in six inches of water, and I had a generator running with the cord, and I'm like, oh, maybe we should probably shut down. <laughs> yeah. So, well, but it's fun. It's- and it's it's cool that you still you know follow Iowa State, and we're really happy. Uh, Kurt, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us. Great stories, and we're really excited to see you here in about a month. So thanks yeah. again for everything. All right. Thank you for having me. Today's sidecast was brought to you by Van Wall Equipment. Stop by one of their locations and learn how to farm better, work smarter, and play harder when you run with Van Wall and John Deere. Thanks for listening.